everybody. How's 22 for you? Well, tell you what. <clears throat> Welcome to Portico Church. My name's Jason, and it is my privilege to be with you this morning as we open up the Word of God. Um, 22 kind of started out weird for me, because I didn't have a lot of time <laughs> to look at the Bible. Um, so I'm sorry about that. So I'm going to teach you what I know. We're going to learn how to land an airplane today. Is that okay? Sorry. We'll make something spiritual out of it. Um, so one of the hardest things to do is to land an airplane. I'm going to tell you that. And flying is actually very easy. People, If you went out and took a flight lesson, two, three, four hours, you'll get it. Like, oh, instead of going left and right, you go up and down, too. You have to control your speed a little bit. Um, you, would, you would get the hang of it. But when it gets to landing, that's where most pilots give up. It's part physics. It's part training. It's part instinct. It's part mechanics and motor skills. And honestly, it's part art. So this is what you see when you're landing a plane. Right? Looks nice. You've got over here on the left, you've got your power indicator. He's pulled back to 30% power. He's lining up on runway 9 here in some nice airport. I don't know where that is. Um, he's, you know, doing a good job, coming right in. Here's what it looks like outside the airplane. Right? Looks nice. These 10 feet right here are what destroys every pilot, especially in the beginning. This, this, this 10 feet of airspace right here is what causes many pilots to not fly anymore, because it's landed. It's called the landing flare. And you're very slow. You're just about 10% above maybe wh where the wing stops flying. So the airplane's harder to control. And you have to transition from flying to landing. And just to be sure, it is probably the most dangerous. Well, it is the most dangerous phase of flight. If you look at airline disasters, right on down through private pilots like this one, 49% of fatal accidents happen in the landing and approach phase of flight. So when you're learning or when you're teaching somebody to fly, this is a very critical spot. And a lot of times pilots give up because they're really good at flying, and they try, and they're doing touch and goes with their instructor, and they just can't get it down. And it's really, it's, it's not fun. So flying doesn't become fun anymore, and they don't want to do it. Uh, somebody from the first service said that they worked at an airport, and there was a sign on the outside of the building that said, learn to fly $10. And then you came in, and it said, learn to land $10,000. Right? I was like, that's exactly it. Now, it's not, it doesn't take great skill to get there, to be honest with you. Landing a plane is not, it just takes time. It takes time. And most people really just kind of, it's hard. So. The reason I bring that up isn't because I didn't read the Bible. I did. Galatians 6, verses 7 through 10. There's probably something in your life that feels like these 10 feet that just disappeared. Right here. Maybe because of your personality, maybe because you've walked with the Lord for a while, maybe because of your experience, there's things in your life that you're good at. Maybe the Spirit has just given you a, a large deposit of faith 
and, or maybe you're a prayer warrior and you see God answering your prayer all the time. But there's something about your life with Christ. And if you're like, I don't have a life with Christ, what are you talking about? If you're trusting Jesus, and that isn't just that you're trying to do the right thing so God loves you, that means you surrender your life and it becomes his and his life becomes yours. And what that does is it, re it, it starts something new in you. You become a new creation. And so you start thinking and acting differently. But there's something, there will be something. Maybe it's patience. Maybe that's the thing that you just can't seem to land in your life. No matter how hard you try, eventually you end up crashing. And it actually makes you annoyed and anxious and agitated. Just this idea that you're never really going to have patience. Maybe it's contentment. That's a big one. Maybe that 10 feet of airspace right there for you is contentment. And you try to be content with the circumstances that you have, but it ends up turning into resentment and envy and entitlement. Like, I know I'm supposed to be content, Lord, but I can't get there. I can't land it. Or a big one is hope. I mean, how can you say I, I'm a Christian and I, and I struggle with hope? Isn't the resurrection supposed to take care of that? Because a lot of the circumstances we have in life don't seem to line up with what we want and what we believe God wants for us. So instead of hope landing, we have despair and we end up giving up. What I want to do in January is take you through three simple verses in Galatians that will teach us how to land these things in our life. Not those specifically, but wherever you have a gap, that thing you can't seem to land in your life. It's important. It's important. This is your belief. This is your faith. And this is transformation. This is becoming a new creature. And it, it, it's hard. It's hard. So if you're, if you're frustrated or if you're a new believer and you're like, I don't even know what you're talking about, like how does God change you, or if you've been walking with the Lord for decades, um, th this is for you. I want you to be encouraged by that. We want to see how this gospel of grace transforms us. And just before I read the text, that's what Galatians is all about. So the Apostle Paul planted this church in Turkey, and then he found out and, you know, they believe the gospel of grace. They believe it's the works of Christ, not their works, that brings them acceptance and partnership with the living God. But he heard that. They were deciding that that wasn't actually the way it worked. You had to also, like, do these things. Like, you had to continue to obey the Old Testament. You had to continue uh, to um, get circumcised and different things that were part of the old plan, the old covenant. Not that doing good things are bad, but they were saying, no, that, that's how you get to God. You get to God through your works. It's like, no, you don't. God gets to you through his works, and he transforms you. You receive it by faith. So he's all fired up in Galatians. We're not reading all of it, but we're in the end of the Galatians, and he's showing you how grace works. He's showing you how grace influences and takes over your life and what it looks like in real time. So that, that's what we're going to settle on. Okay, so let's, um, let's jump right in, Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 through 10. We're going to be here for a little while. 
It says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we ask that you would open up your word, that we might behold its beauty and its treasure, and that you might give us the gift of your presence, that it might change us forever. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. This is not a hard concept. The whole text basically says this. Whatever you sow into your life, is growing in your life. That's it. The things that you sow, which is an agricultural term, right? We have to understand the words when we read the Bible. The things that you sow or plant into your life are the things that are growing right now. And at some point, maybe it's this week, maybe it's 10 years from now, those things will come to full development, and they will give you a harvest, and you will reap that. That's what it means to reap. You will cut it. It will belong to you. So the things that you're planting into your life right now will come to full harvest in your life. They're growing right now. So when we think of transformation, we think of information. In the post-enlightenment Greek world that we live in, transformation is all about knowledge. So we believe that if we know something, if we, hear, if we get the information, then we will be transformed. But we know that's not true in, in, in any other version of life. We know it's not true for aviation. It may not be true for your discipline as well. Information does not create transformation. Now, it's necessary. It's not less than that. But what the Apostle Paul is saying, what God is telling us here, is that transformation is happening through the way you plant seeds into your life. It's using that metaphor of agriculture, the things that you plant into your life now, the thousand decisions you make every day are actually making you. What, you mean for now? No, I mean for your life. And, and the command for us, or the pressure of this text, is to not sow to the flesh, which we'll, we'll talk about that today, but to sow or plant to the Spirit to invest in the Spirit and let the Spirit invest in you so that you will reap eternal life. And oh, by the way, that's not just talking about something we call heaven. It's also not just not the, the quantity, but the quality of life now. So that, that's what this text is getting at. So what are we planting into our lives? So let's just walk through this text to get an understanding. And oh, by the way, I'm not going to go through much of it today. Um, I really didn't get to read that much. But also, we're going to break it up into three slots. We want to understand this metaphor of planting to our lives, and then we're going to talk about sowing to the flesh, and that's pretty much it. 
Now, that's kind of a bad spot to leave it, but that's as far as we're going to get today. Next time we meet on this, we will speak about sowing to the Spirit. Uh, and then the last time we meet on Galatians, the end of January, we will talk about the harvest because it talks about doing good. So it's something's happening as we sow to the Spirit um, and it comes out in our lives. So we're just going to, I just want to warn you so you don't say, wait a minute, there's a lot more there. Yes, there is. We'll get to it. So what you reap is what you sow. Our culture calls this karma, right? And there's truth to it. Not in that you can save yourself or that the universe will give you a reward if you're a good fella, but this idea that God has written into the moral fabric of his universe this idea that whatever you plant in life is what you're going to harvest in life. The daily decisions you make will affect how you live. And it says that God is not mocked. Now, what that means is, basically, you cannot, God can't be an afterthought in your life. He's the, he's the author of life. So it's not logical or reasonable, follow me, to imagine, because you had nothing to do with your own creation. Not, you don't have anything to do with the universe that you live in. You are a creature. That means you were created. You are completely and entirely dependent on the will of another to exist. That's why scripture calls him the author of life. So it's not reasonable to believe that I can take the gift of life, live how I want, especially if that means I'm going to be God, and imagine that that gift of life is yours forever. That you can't spurn the life giver and expect to have life. Um, Romans makes that very clear in Romans chapter 3, for the wages of sin is death. So there's some weight there. But what it doesn't mean is that God, it doesn't mean that God is sitting over in the corner, just kind of leaning against the wall, watching your life, waiting for you to screw up again, waiting for you to sin. He's like, ah, got it. You're trying to mock me. You're done, man. Not what he's doing. In fact, he's giving us grace here. So as we learn this, let's also understand we are to be patient. How long does it take for a seed to grow? Right? I mean, I, some of my friends in California, uh, they have orchards. And we were there one year, and, and I love fruit, you know? And so, but they didn't have as much as they wanted. And she was so mad. I'm like, how long does it take a, a tree to grow? She's like, ah, oh, seven years before this type of tree produces fruit. I'm like, it's okay, man. You're going to get there. And their, their orchard's amazing. But part of walking with Christ is that you have got to get imagination for patience. You have to understand that God is growing things in your life through faith that you may not see for the rest of your life. I'm just going to throw that out there. Or you might see hints of it, but you, won't, you may not see full flourishing in that um, for a long time. And you're never going to be perfect. Only Jesus is perfect. So you have to understand that if we're going to sow to the Spirit, we have to be patient. So imagine this, just to kind of bring this home for a second. If, if, imagine if in your 20s you did nothing but eat fast food. Uh-oh, this is where the conviction comes in, right? You did nothing but eat fast food, drink way too much, and never exercise. Now imagine that was your 20s. I'm not going to make you raise your hand, all right? Now, you go to the doctor in your 30s, and this doctor or healthcare professional is like, wow, your blood pressure is like through the roof. Would you be surprised? 
Well, you would. But when you, when you, you're like, what? But I'm a good person, right? I drink light beer, you know? Um, there would be some disappointment, but you, my friend, would not be surprised. You'd be like, oh, yeah, you're paying the cost. So the seeds that you have planted in your life in your 20s have changed your life in your 30s. The harvest is a heart that's popping too fast. And you've got high blood pressure. So this is the idea we have. The same way is if you allow your flesh to lead your life, what's the flesh? We'll get there. If you allow the flesh to direct the course of your life, to define for you what happiness is, to define for you the course of your life, you will reap a harvest of spiritual sickness that is intense and will lead to eternal death. The stakes are that high. And it doesn't take a lot of imagination to see the evidence of that in our life. And friends, there's no third option. It's not like, hey, you can sow to the spirit or you can sow to the flesh or you can just try to be good. I have tried to hold on to those two worlds for so long, and, and earlier, and probably even now, and it tears you apart. It tears you apart. So there's no third option. We get to choose to allow the Spirit to lead or to allow ourselves to lead, but there's no third way. So understand this, friends. Whatever you're sowing into your lives right now, the seeds you're planting, and you might be saying, I need more information on that. We'll get there. We're going to go there. But the things you're planting into your life are growing right now, and there will come a day when the, the harvest comes in. So let's, let's jump on that. And the text says, don't be deceived. Uh, in the original language, that's self-delusion. In other words, don't kid yourself. Don't, don't. It's like, don't wander off. Don't imagine that this isn't true. Uh, there's a rule that we have in aviation called the one in 60 rule. It's one of the first things you learn before you do your solo cross-country when you're a new pilot. And, oh man, after GPS, I just don't remember these things. But um, it goes something like, for every 60 miles you fly, 60 nautical miles, if you're, if you're off course by one degree, you know how, one de how much one degree is? There's 360 degrees in a circle, so one is really small. If your heading is just off by one degree, in 60 nautical miles, you'll be off course by one monocle mile, right? Yay math. So if you extrapolate that out, like this little plane here that's probably going 120 knots, if that plane, like if she was flying for like three hours in that plane, she would be 18 miles off course with one degree off of heading. And I've seen that happen with students of mine. And you let them do it because also you're bored and it's fun. But there's no teacher-like consequence. You're like, hey, where are we at? Like, oh, we're, uh, I have no idea where we're at, right? We'll turn on your GPS and figure it out. So it, it, the point is this. Sowing to the flesh feels right. One degree off. And when you do it, there's going to be a day you wake up and feel lost. You can't even find yourself on the map. Might be because you're trying to sow, sow to the flesh and sow to the spirit. And it doesn't work that way. It's totally opposite. But there's grace here. This is all grace. This is not God bringing the hammer on you. He says, but the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. God is calling you into this. This is grace. 
This is like when you're telling your grandchild, hey, don't touch the stove, baby. They're like, okay, Pappy. Mm, right? Every time. I'm just not going to say anything anymore. You get that red-hot hand, you're like, oh, that's what Pappy wants. God has given us grace here. He wants you to experience a, a harvest of abundant life in your life right now. That's what he's shooting for. So just know that. So whatever you sow in your life, that is growing your life. So now let's get to the rest of the text here, at least some of it. Because it starts off by saying, you know, don't be, be deceived, get that God is not marked. Okay, we got that. For whatever one sows, he will also reap. For the one who sows to his flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. So we need to understand what that means. So this word in the Bible, flesh, most of the Bible is pretty clear, but this is why we go to church. This is why we do community groups and teachings, because it's an ancient document. And it speaks to us, but we need to do a little homework, don't we? Because we don't walk around saying, you know, I just really feel like I'm sowing to my flesh this week. Have you ever said that? Nobody ever says that. So we need to understand what that means. The flesh in Scripture can mean at least three things, and the Apostle Paul, it usually means one of three things. Uh, it can mean physical body, like 1 Corinthians 6.16, 6, the two will become one flesh, right? It's just one flesh. Ethnicity, like in Philippians 3.3, where he says, he who worships by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. So that's ethnicity. What the, the, the thesis of Paul there is, hey, your, your Jewish heritage is not warrant for you to be justified before God. God doesn't save people based on their ethnicity. So he's using it in that context. Now the flesh that we're talking about, which is probably most common in his letters, is disordered desires or that sinful nature, those passions, that rebellious self-assertion. The flesh, is, the flesh is that thing where if I came up to you and say, oh, you need to do that, you're just kind of like, um, maybe, but who are you? Because I don't really take orders from people. And maybe you're nicer than that, but internally, your heart, which is the seat of your mind, your emotions, your will, the thing that helps you filter through life and make decisions, that is where your flesh is. And it's disordered desires gone awry. So let's look at Galatians 5.16. I'll back us up here. It says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, for you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So flesh has something to do with desire, but so does the Spirit. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So in Galatians 5, earlier chapter 5, 16, and 17, we get this idea that the flesh has to do with desire. Desire in and of itself is not bad. You can't be human and not have appetites and desires. The idea of the flesh is that there's a corruption that is so deep that it's impossible to recover from, so that your appetites and your desires and your affections are at least 1% off if not way off heading, and they end up consuming you. So the flesh is all about disordered desire. Let me give you a couple quotes. Uh, 
theologian Eugene Peterson said, the corruption, the flesh is that corruption that sin has introduced into our very appetites and instincts. Uh, John Mark Comer, in this book, I'm going to hold it up, Live No Lies, because it's a really good book. It talks about the three enemies of the soul, the world, the devil, and the flesh. It's really good. It's informed a lot of the study that I have here in Galatians, so I'd just like to throw that out. Live No Lies, John Mark Comer. He said, flesh is our base instincts for survival, okay, domination, getting closer, and our need for control. That's where we're going. Flesh is all about control. It sets your logic circuit. Another way you might have heard this is sin nature. So we're sinners by nature and by choice. But that nature means that it's normal for you to want to define good and happiness for yourself. It's not only normal for you. The world would tell you that. You're a fool if you don't live for yourself. You're a fool if you don't live for happiness. There's an agent inside of you working that program. Scripture calls it the flesh. You see, the ancients would have said, you are what you think. Mind over matter. They'd have said, forget about how you feel. Forget about your appetites and desires. The intellectual mind is the true self. Now, the moderns, post-enlightenment, would say, no. You are what you feel. This is where our culture is today, some version of it. If you want to understand the trueness of who you are, you have to get to the bottom of your deepest emotions. And once you find those and you live those out authentically and bravely, you will find out who you are. The Bible says you are what you love. It's always said that. Your life is a bucket of desires. So the gospel is not about suppressing those desires. It's about rebirthing them and positioning them to the place that God has actually called them to be. So you are what you love. This is going to help us understand this. So what is sowing to the flesh? What does this mean? Well, it's, em- it's when you embrace an action or an inaction that's empowered by your flesh, your appetites, your desires, and even your dreams, and it's confirmed by the world around you. I mean, let's just take one that everybody knows, sex. Sex is not a bad thing, but Scripture is pretty clear on how God has designed it. So, is being a Christian mean you never have a sexual desire? So what do you do with that? But then we know our flesh is at work. So normally what happens is we're told you can't really truly be human unless you can sleep with whoever you're most attracted to. And our flesh empowers that because we want to be happy. And the world confirms that and says, yeah, idiot. Don't listen to what those Bible thumpers say. And then you have this tossing, this like coming against you. So sowing to the flesh is when you embrace that. And what happens is your appetites, your fears, and even your dreams become your prison. Not making that up. Galatians 5.13, for you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So it's not that the flesh is just random desires. It's always about you. 
and to put the flesh to death, you can only do that by serving Christ, by using what you have to serve other folk. So a few examples of this. Food. It's an appetite. It's necessary. It's not bad. It's not sinful. It's an appetite. Cats eat. Dogs eat. People eat. It's part of being a creature. Here's how you can sow to the flesh and food. You can say, my week's been awful. My day's been horrible. I'm going to come home. I'm going to get on DoorDash. I'm going to order like $90 worth of food, which is actually probably $10. You could have gone around the corner and ordered it. But you're like, I just need some peace. I need some comfort. I need like a double bacon cheeseburger with avocado spread and french fried onions on that with some nacho cheese on the side. I've done this before. I need it because it makes me feel good like that. When I eat it, I get that salt line goes up here and the fat line goes up here and, you know, the sweet line. And I get that pleasure and just that those circuits start to fire. And it's good. It gives you a, a sense of peace and joy. And you can overeat because food becomes your source of joy and your source of comfort. You're sowing to the flesh. And if you overeat too much, you can kill yourself. Let's look at the other side of that. What if I know I'm supposed to eat, but my body needs to look this way? Because when my body looks this way, I can control my environment, people love me, I get attention, and I have value. So now food is no longer my savior, food is my enemy. And so I do anything to stay away from food. And there's so many disorders based on this. That's sowing to the flesh. See, the Spirit would say, God the Holy Spirit would say, no, you're a creature, you need food. And food is a good gift from God, but he could, this food can never be your provider, can never be your comfort, God is your provider, can never be your peace, and it's not your enemy. So that, that, there's one example. What about control. I need agency in my life, so I need to manipulate people, circumstances, things to take what I need from them. I'm tired of my spouse telling me what to do. So I'm just going to keep this thing from her. You're a liar. We lie all the time. We control the flow of information in our lives because we want control. That's sowing to the flesh. It, the harvest is broken relationships, unending anxiety over your future because you actually do believe you control your future when you don't. The Spirit says God is my provider. God is in control, so choose to trust him. What about connection? This is a big one, especially, you know, we've come out of COVID, come out of pandemic. We're still ripping through that. So I need life-giving connection. So how do we sow to the flesh? Many times, can I show you how we sow to the flesh? Right here. I need connection, so I use my phone to get on social media to make myself feel liked and valuable. The harvest is extreme loneliness, anxiety, and despair. Let me read you something from the CDC just came out. It said that um, just recently, as they looked at 2020, ED, or emergency room visits, were 50% higher among girls during this pandemic. Teenage girls. They didn't make the connection. But listen to how one hospital understands it. Local hospital, actually. Social media has a reinforcing nature. Using it activates the brain's reward center by releasing dopamine, a feel-good chemical linked to pleasurable activities such as sex, food, social interaction. The platforms, the platforms, the phones, and the apps are designed to be addictive. Did you know that? 
Did you know that technology in your phone understands psychology way better than you do and knows how to get you to stay attached and dependent on it? The platforms are designed to be addictive and are associated with anxiety, depression, and physical ailments. This is from a local hospital. So the phone becomes like the shovel, right, to sow to the flesh. The Spirit says this, If anyone loves me, John 14, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. But that sounds a lot harder than getting likes. So sowing to the flesh. Here's what it looks like together. If you look at Galatians 5, chapter 19, or I'm sorry, I always do that. Chapter 5, verse 19. Why can I never get that right? I want you to see the difference between flesh and spirit. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, those are appetites, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, there's control, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, there's connection, Rivalries, dissension, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things do not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit, singular, because it comes as a whole package. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ, past tense, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. That doesn't mean you don't have disordered desires and passions. It means that you have the ability, not just permission, you have the ability and the power to walk in freedom. Well, I haven't found that in my life. Well, because maybe you're not using the means of grace. Maybe you're not sowing the spirit when it means involving somebody else in your life or the church or scripture. So that is how God calls us to understand it. Now, the end point of sowing to the flesh says corruption. That's your harvest. Corruption is devolving. Here's what that means. It means you become less recognizer as an image bearer of the living God. And that's what you're, that's what you're designed to do, is reflect God to all of creation. And his beauty and his holiness, his power, and it takes, takes both genders and every Nationality to do it. As we sow to the flesh, we become less and less recognizable as an image bearer. Now, you know when you're driving down the road, and sorry, I'm just going to say it, you see the deer on the side of the road that's been hit, and if it's been there for a week, it's basically like a bunch of fur and bones. That's corruption. That's not what the deer was made for. Sowing to the flesh is absolutely dehumanizing, even though in your heart of hearts, it feels like this is what I need to keep me happy. The harvest is eternal death. Well, let's close our Bibles. Just kidding. I'm not going to leave you there, though. We're not going to go into what it looks like in detail to sow to the Spirit, but I will tell you in general. First of all, you can't stop sowing to the flesh. You know you've tried. It doesn't work, does it? You can't white-knuckle your way out of these things. You have to replace it. The Spirit has to become a disruptive agent in your life where you replace appetite with serving somebody else. 
where you replace serving yourself for serving another. And we'll get into that. It means disciplined desires empowered by the Spirit, confirmed by the Word that leads you to an abundant life right now. It's incredibly powerful. That's the nature of grace. And it's not your actions that save you. It's the actions of Jesus. Here's the key to this. Friends, this honestly sounds like bad news. If you didn't know who Jesus was, what you would walk away from is is saying this. Okay, I get it. I guess I'm sowing to the wrong thing. And you might believe if you found a way to sow to the Spirit and do the right thing, your life would change and then God would love you. No, you can't do it. I'm telling you, it's not possible. The foundation of this is the works of Christ. Faith means that Jesus is the true seed. Faith means that he was actually planted in the ground. Not for fun, but because he actually took on our death. He took on our sin. He, he did that, but he did not experience corruption. Scripture says that. And his resurrection is proof positive that he did this for your abundant life. Life is life. So this is not abstract. His resurrection is proof positive that what was planted in Jesus grew to full life. Pop. He overcomes sin, Satan, death, all of it. Everything that that book talks about. If you believe that, then you will be transformed. If you will trust Jesus, if you will give him your life, you'll have access to the Father, and you will have the Holy Spirit comes in and involves himself in your life, takes up residence in your life, in the church, around us, and among us. And we have the power to live how God has called us to live. Friends, listen. I've taught so many people how to land, it's funny. One of the, thing, one of the tricks we use with people is that when they can't land, there we go. Said, hey, quit looking in front of the airplane when you're landing. I'm like, well, what do you want to look? Look outside? Look backwards? Like, no. Look at the end of the runway. Look at where you're going to be. And like, that doesn't make sense to me. So I'm landing right here. I said, no, just try it. Perfect. That's what the gospel does. You need to look where you're going to be. You look at, look at Jesus. You know that he is your righteousness. He is your salvation. Trust him. When you look at him, when you trust him, this process will start to take off. What you're sowing into your life is growing. Let's pray with the Spirit. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I praise you. Even though, Lord, we've seen the darkest side of this today in your text, we're not confused or fearful because we know you have overcome everything that we struggle. And you've done it perfectly. And you are the full, flourishing life that we desire. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would make that real to us, that you would give us the ability to sow to the Spirit and not to the flesh, and that we would see your abundant life even now. I pray that you break strongholds in people's lives even now. So we thank you, and we pray this all in the name of Jesus.